You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to this week's special training event. This is the second part of our workshop series where we're looking at what it looks like to lead the post-COVID church. And we started this workshop series last week and we've been utilizing the materials that Tom Rainier and the team at Church Answers have made available, and they're very helpful materials. And uh, tonight we have church leaders from a variety of places in the United States. My best count here is that we have eight different states represented. Tonight we have Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, New York, Ohio, California, Florida, Alabama, and New Hampshire. And I see, uh, let's see, Eliezer, what state are you in? Are you in Massachusetts or Rhode Island? I forget. Uh, Massachusetts. All right. So we got a Massachusetts guest as well this evening. So we're grateful that you're able to be with us. So we have nine states that are with us tonight on the call. And we're going to be working through this material uh, together this evening. And uh, again, we're grateful for all the church leaders joining us live tonight. And those of you that are accessing this via the recording, we hope that it's helpful to you as well. We hope that it's a blessing. I'm going to share my screen here with the guests that are on our on our live call here. And we're going to begin working through this content together as we, again, talk about leading the post-COVID church. And this is, uh, uh, I think, a, a helpful discussion at this particular season because many of us are going through a transition season now in our churches where at one point, uh, things looked a particular way, but now as things have stretched on, you know, we're almost at, at a full year since things really went through some drastic changes, and we're starting to see kind of new levels of change in our local churches. And so we'll be discussing some of that this evening as well. And one of the big themes you're going to hear tonight is this idea of seizing the opportunity that we have been given. We've been given some very unique opportunities that are presented to us during this particular season, and uh, we want to make the most of them. So again, we're talking about leading the post-COVID church. This is part two of our workshops. And um, again, this material, you can find more about this at churchanswers.com. And Tom Rainier and his team have a lot of good, helpful content there that they've made available to us to be able to use for this training. A few things I want to share as we get underway this evening. First of all, Tom Rainier made this statement, and I'm just going to read it for us. He said, as congregations return methodically to in-person services, something else will be taking place. It will be obvious to some churches. It will be more subtle to others. Simply stated, churches will have an incredible window of opportunity to make substantive and positive changes. So I want us to be thinking about that statement this evening, because again, he says that we will have, as churches and church leaders, we will have an incredible window of opportunity to make substantive and positive changes. And that's what we're going to be discussing this evening as we look at this subject. We're going to be talking about what those changes are, what they look like, how we can best implement them, and how we as leaders can model and try and facilitate some of these things. Uh, we definitely need 
help for this. We need the Lord's guidance for this. And, um, and it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity that the Lord's given us to do what he's called us to do. Now, something else I'll, I'll, I'll make mention of here is the fact that God is using this difficult season to prepare churches for unprecedented opportunities. And uh, Tom Rainier, in his materials, kind of poses this as a question. He says, why is the window of opportunity opening right now? And he says, of course, the correct answer and perspective is that God is opening the window for our churches, but it is fascinating to see specifically how he is working in our congregation. So again, that's what we're going to be talking about here. How is the Lord opening up this window for opportunity, and how is he working in our congregations? So let's talk about why churches will have an incredible window of opportunity in these coming months, and maybe even in these coming years. But I would say more likely in the coming months, we want to be thinking about some of these things from a short-term perspective, even before we really get the opportunity to start thinking about how this impacts the church long-term. But why will we have such an incredible window of opportunity? Well, one of the things that Rainier brings up is the fact that many of our church members are more unified in the midst of the challenges. Now, this is something that some churches experience a little bit of back and forth with. I think in some respects earlier in the pandemic, churches were experiencing a little bit of um, a little bit more unity, at least initially, because there was uh, kind of a a, a bit of confusion about how best to handle things. And so we were wondering, all right, what do we do? And and initially, it seemed like most churches handled things pretty similarly. As things went on, we started to notice some differences in how churches were handling the challenges that they were facing and the difficulties that they were facing. Uh, but there is still even in the midst of some differing opinions, there are still areas of unity that have been heightened in the midst of everything that's going on right now. And I think one area of unity is uh, just our common desire to, as as soon as possible, you know, Lord, please show us your favor and allow us to get back to things as as normal as soon as possible. And uh, I think many of us get nostalgic for a sense of normalcy. At least I do. And maybe I shouldn't speak for others, but I can tell you for myself, uh, times I, I, I just think about it and I think, boy, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to experiencing some level of normalcy like we once enjoyed. But Rainier says that many of our church members are more unified in the midst of the challenges. And I think depending on the subject, he, he's certainly right, uh, you know, depending on the particular topic. Um, also, another reason why churches will have an incredible window of opportunity in the coming months, our congregations have been exposed to a variety of worship experiences. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry for 23 years. I know some of you on the call this evening have been in, in ministry a little bit uh, less time than that, but others on the call here have been in ministry for many more years than that. And I think all of us who are in church leadership can Think back to times where we probably wanted to make some changes that we thought would be helpful in our local churches, but for a variety of reasons, maybe we experienced some resistance to that or some pushback in regard to it. 
I can think of different seasons of my ministry where I attempted to change certain things and then realized I might be going a little too fast for our congregation. Or there may be there might be some people in the congregation that tended to be a little bit more vocal in their opinions that you had to work with and and uh, try to persuade or, or con- encourage them to consider some of the changes that you felt were helpful to make. And so depending on the personality of your congregation, uh, depending on the personality of the leaders within your church, uh, it, it can be either fast or slow when you're trying to make changes. But keep in mind that during the course of this past year, our congregations have been exposed to a variety of worship experiences, some of which were brand new to them and unfamiliar. And that may actually be a big help, particularly if you're looking to update some things or change some things. I remember in the the early days or the, the, the middle of March of 2020, when so many of us were starting to offer live stream options for the first time. After our church broadcast our live stream, one of the things that I spent the rest of that first Sunday when all our churches seemed to be doing this all at the same time, I spent much of that that day consuming content from many different churches, my friends' churches, uh, churches that I had never been able to personally go to because of my responsibilities leading a local church. And it felt so edifying to be able to sit and listen to the preaching of of other people that I trusted, other people that I respected. I really enjoyed it. It was also fascinating to see how different churches organize different things or approach different things. And just like we as church leaders have been able to see more, our congregations have also seen more. And for some people, this was kind of the first time where they've really been exposed to some just different ways of doing things that might actually be helpful in your local church context. So that might actually give you as a church leader an opportunity to try some new things because some of your people are used to some of those changes now based on what they've seen primarily online through different live streams. How about this? Many church members have already made changes. So there are some church members that are, are I mean, this has been a year of, of making all sorts of changes and adapting to all sorts of things. And it seems to be a season where we're, we're growing used to accommodating things that aren't necessarily uh, in line with, with what we would have expected to be doing. And one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me personally throughout the course of this year is that I need to be more flexible than sometimes I want to be. And uh, as he's been teaching me this, I see that he's teaching other people this, and maybe you're seeing this in your churches as well, that many church members have already adapted to different things and have already made some changes, and they've grown used to some of the new ways that you've been approaching things in your local church, so they're not as adverse to you making some healthy changes or some healthy updates. It's a great opportunity. A fourth reason that Rainier and uh, Church Answers bring up that uh, they say will really contribute to this idea of having a window of opportunity is the fact that the community at large may be more receptive. And some of the things that, that he brought up is the fact that because churches have been attempting to do more outward-focused ministry in the midst of this season, there are many communities that have become aware of local churches on a deeper level than they were before. And because so many churches are giving the outside world a glimpse into what they do for their worship services and for their different ministries by putting more of that content on the internet, 
the community is becoming more uh, more aware of these things. I can tell you that in our context here, we have several neighbors that have been utilizing our church live stream just in the past month, which is kind of interesting to me because we're well into all these transitions and all these changes and, and all these developments. And we've been broadcasting all this information for a long time. And uh, and it took, uh, you know, a full 11 months before some people really started catching on to it. But I've had some of my neighbors here in the community indicate that they have been watching our live stream. And so you have a more receptivity among some people in our communities. And I think that that's going to give us a great opportunity for additional relationship building and additional outreach. And uh, one other reason that that Rainier lists that I think is worth noting is that church members are anticipating and celebrating regathering in person. Now, I know not everyone that's live on the call here has fully regathered in person. I know some of us that have regathered are doing that in a very limited way, and then some have fully regathered. I know that in our context, when we first started gradually regathering, one of the things that I, I witnessed even within myself was just a flood of emotion. And I know that first Sunday that I was able to to preach to actual human faces instead of just a camera, uh, I actually got teary-eyed at one point and got choked up. And then that kind of triggered some other people in our congregation to express emotion as well. And um, and you could tell that it was pent up within us. And so when you consider that, that some church members haven't been able to gather in person with their church family for almost a year now, that's something that builds a lot of anticipation. And many are looking forward to celebrating, regathering in person. And so this is a time where we can really make this a special time if we put some added thought into what that welcoming back experience might be like. We actually, uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, there was a family that attended our early service that we hadn't seen since last March. And uh, I was so happy to see them. And I can tell that they were so happy to be able to see others as well. And so as that's gradually happening, it's just a great opportunity to welcome people back. It's part of this window of opportunity that Rainier brings up uh, in, in some of his writings and some of his materials. Now, let's talk a little bit about this idea of getting your church members back in the habit of church attendance. I think that this is going to be a challenge. I will uh, confess to you that in the congregation that I lead, there are some people that I, I honestly wonder if we will ever see them coming back. They don't seem to give any indication that they will be returning for in-person worship, at least not anytime soon, and maybe never. And so that's something I've been praying about and working through. Maybe this is something you've been wrestling with in your context as well. But when we think about this idea of getting your church members back in the habit of church attendance after uh, you know many months or maybe almost a year of not gathering in person, there's a couple things to consider from a biblical perspective. First of all, the Bible itself mandates that we gather together for worship. Many of us are familiar with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I think for many pastors, it's one of our, our favorite verses in Scripture where it tells us, don't forsake gathering together. And it, and it also tells us in that portion of Scripture that it can be very easy to get in the habit of forsaking gathering together. 
And so the Bible mandates that we gather together for worship. It tells us that that's part of God's desire for us. It's part of his design for the church. He wants us to be in person. He wants us to gather together for worship. Live streams are a great tool for evangelism. They're a great accommodation that we're privileged to be able to make in a season where it was difficult for us to get together. But it's not the ultimate solution. It's an accommodation, not the be-all, end-all, because the Bible mandates we gather for worship. The Lord invites us to do that, and I believe we've been designed by him to do that. Something else that you can see in multiple places in Scripture, it's not. I don't. I don't even have a, a specific reference listed on our slides here because it's it's so obvious throughout the course of Scripture that the Bible emphasizes the importance of the local church. We see this in in the teaching of Christ in the Gospels as he was preparing the early church leaders for what it was going to look like to lead in the church and to gather as a church. And then when Scripture transitions the story into the book of Acts, you could see some of the encouraging ways that the early believers were gathering together and the ways in which they were sharing life one with another and how they were building one another up in their faith. And you can look throughout Paul's letters and the general letters as we go all throughout the New Testament. And you see the local church um, really growing together and uh, accomplishing things that that were just amazing as the Lord would work through groups of people to spread the gospel place to place. And it was fascinating to see it. We see a lot of leadership development taking place in that context as well. And the gospel spread throughout the world. And the ways in which the Lord organizes that spread, the ways in which the Lord disciples that spread, is through the ministry of the local church. The local church matters to the Lord. It's not an afterthought to him. It's part of his plan to reach the earth. And so it's exciting to be able to see what he does through the local church but it's also a good reminder to us as church leaders to to remember to, that we've got to at least do our best to encourage our church members to get back in the habit of gathering together as a church in person to the best of our ability when it makes sense for us to best do so in our context, because there's benefits that come from that. When we gather together, we encourage one another. I don't know what the pattern is in your church context, but I could tell you one of my favorite things about gathering together with our local church is the fact that that people don't seem to rush out after our worship services are over. And, you know, people stick around and they talk to each other and their children play together on our playground and and there's conversations that take place. And our worship service usually ends around quarter after 11. Our second service ends around quarter after 11 on Sundays. And I don't usually get out of the church until close to one. So that's almost two hours of just people spending time talking, sitting down together. Sometimes people bring food and enjoy lunch together before they go. When the weather's nice, families will sit outside together from time to time. I like that. And what happens in that context, you have believers making investments in one another's lives. We also see this with our midweek programs, as people have the opportunity to to sit down and study the scripture together, as they have the opportunity to sit down and pray together or enjoy other forms of fellowship or food or anything like that. When we gather together, we encourage each other. In fact, when you look at what scripture tells us, it reveals that we are not designed to grow in our faith in solitude. 
I will never grow to the level that the Lord wants me to grow if I'm not fellowshipping with other believers who have been gifted in ways that I'm not gifted, because they can invest their gifts in me, I can invest my gifts in them, and then we grow more spiritually mature by spending time with one another. And I know that this next bullet point on uh, Tom Rainier's list will resonate with those of us on the call tonight, because he also says, when we gather together, we encourage our pastors and other leaders. And I got to tell you, um, you know, every time I talk to a pastor after a Sunday when they have seen new visitors or maybe a higher than average attendance, they feel good. They feel encouraged. They feel like they're making connections with with all sorts of people, and it 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 tends to add a, a spring to the step of most pastors and other church leaders. Uh, some of you know, I know there's at least one of you here on the call that was that was part of this and saw this in person. This past Sunday, we actually ran out of chairs in our worship service. And we had to put out folding chairs to accommodate how many people were at our second service. And this was the first time in a year that we've seen something like this. And one of our ministry directors after church, she came up to me and she said, she said, I noticed when you were preaching today that it seemed like you were very happy and like you had just kind of an extra boost of energy. And, it, and her comment was, was that because the place was so uh, well attended today? And I said, you know what? That was not conscious on my part, but I bet you it was. I, I think it just did my heart good to see people gathered together to, today, and it made me feel encouraged. I felt encouraged. And so there's nothing wrong with encouraging pastors and other church leaders who serve and, and really want people to, to be the beneficiaries of their service. But if people don't show, that can be a bit discouraging over time. And so when we gather together, you know, in addition to encouraging one another, we're also taking time to encourage our pastors. We're encouraging other church leaders, and that's a benefit and a blessing. Something else that uh, Rainier brings up that we already mentioned a little bit already, but I'll say it because it's on his list. He, he stresses the fact that we grow spiritually when we commit to faithful attendance. And so his emphasis on that was the idea that when we show up, when we purposely put ourselves in a spot where we are gathering together with other believers, we're, we're basically saying, all right, I'm going to commit to making this a pattern in my life, and it gives us every advantage in our desire or our attempt to grow spiritually. And he's saying that, that when that becomes an actual commitment, that you can actually begin to see a, a noticeable, uh, just a noticeable and visible pattern of growth in the life of somebody who's actually committed to faithfully gather together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's going to be challenging, I think, for us as church leaders, and this might be something useful for us to talk about in a few minutes when we get to our discussion time, uh, but it's going to be challenging for us to encourage members who aren't thinking a whole lot about attending in person. It's going to be challenging for us to encourage them to reconsider that in the near future, because the time is coming where it's going to make sense, I think, for many of these people to really get back to this, and, and we're going to have to be intentional about encouraging it. Rainier, uh, as he's talking about opportunities that we have, he brings up something that I want to wholeheartedly endorse just in a personal way this evening. 
he brings up this contact or this um, this concept that he refers to in some of the literature that he's been writing recently uh, as minimal church. Now, I don't know how that that phrase strikes you, minimal church. That doesn't necessarily sound like a positive thing. But he says that this is a key post-COVID strategy. And I'll explain in a second here what he's getting at when he says minimal church. But I'll also put myself on record in saying that I endorse this idea wholeheartedly. And I'll I'll be happy to share my reasons why. But uh, I'll even say this before I read some of the things that he shared here. This philosophy that he's talking about here is something that really got my attention about 13 years ago. And that was at the time when our family moved here to Langhorne, Pennsylvania, to uh, basically plant a new church. There was a church here that that was shutting down. There was only a few people left. It was shutting down. So we moved here to replant a church that had died. And um, I adopted this philosophy in what we were doing here. And for 13 years, we've watched the benefit of it. And it's something that he's been stressing. Rainier's been stressing this all over again as a key post-COVID strategy. So instead of talking about it, let's just talk uh, through it here and, and, and see what he's talking about, this idea of minimal church. So he says this, almost 15 years ago, Rainier says that Eric Geiger and I wrote a book called Simple Church. And uh, by the way, if you've never read that book, please read it. You could find used copies of that book so inexpensively on Amazon. I think $3 will get you a copy of that book. You can find a hardcover used copy. It's very plentiful. But about 15 years ago, Eric Iger and Tom Rainer, they wrote Simple Church. And he said, we dealt with the challenge that most churches don't have a process of discipleship. They notice this, that, that many churches, and the way he said it was most don't actually have a process of discipleship thought through or planned out. And so he he said in the book that we presented that process in four major categories. And these are the four categories that he stressed in Simple Church. Clarity, movement, alignment, and focus. And of the four, the area that got the most discussion was focus. So we're going to talk about that in a second, but let's talk about the other three first. So clarity is the idea, first of all, of of just having a clear understanding of what a disciple is and what you're trying to produce in a person's life as you're trying to encourage somebody to trust in Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ sincerely, uh, to walk with him faithfully. And, um, and, and so uh, this is something here that, that Rainier you know, brought up in the book, the idea of having clarity about that. And then movement was being intentional about moving in the direction that will produce those kind of results. Alignment was basically looking at the different things that you're doing in the church and making sure that they all share that same mission. And then focus, and this is where we're going to take a moment here, uh, because this is the area that got a lot of attention, a lot of debate when you start bringing it up. And it's also where he's getting this uh, this commentary where he's calling it minimal church. It's where it's coming from. The way he defined focus was this. He, he's saying, don't try to do everything. Do a few things well. So what does that look like in the context of a local church? This is something that I hope when we get to our discussion time that someone will bring up, this idea of focus, not trying to do everything, but trying to do a few things well. 
That's something that, that Rainier's been really stressing. And what he's saying is focus on what actually helps produce disciples. You don't have to be the busiest church ever. You don't have to fill every vacant spot on a calendar with some sort of activity just so you could say you're busy. Start thinking about what actually contributes to somebody becoming a fully committed, fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, and do that as best as you can. Do a few things well. Don't try to do everything and then do everything poorly, saying do a few things well. So that was his idea of focus. So again, when we get to the discussion time, let's bring that up and let's have a little bit more discussion about that. But as he kind of elaborates on what it looks like to to focus on being a minimal church, or we could even say a focused church, He's saying this is a key post-COVID strategy, and he, he gives us five suggestions here that I think are worth noting. First of all, he says, bring this issue to four to seven of your best leaders in the church. I like this counsel. Again, he's saying, you know, think about four to seven key leaders or, or four to seven of your best leaders in the church and start talking to them about what it looks like to be focused, what it would look like for your church to do a few things well. And he's saying that this is a key time as we prepare to fully regather and fully open up our churches in the coming months, Lord willing. He's saying this is a great time to have this conversation, to bring this issue before your leaders and to really talk about these things. And so I I agree with that assessment, with that idea, but you want to have some time to talk about it because if you start presenting these ideas to the congregation, it's helpful to have leadership support in a broad sense before you start uh, bringing these out to the congregation in a broad sense. Uh, Something else he encourages us to do is this, to review the church's calendar or some similar log of activities wherever you keep a record of what goes on in the church. And he's saying, look at it and think about it and, and review it, because many of these things right now have been paused. And it may very well be that, that some of these things don't get started back up because they were just busy activities and not really discipleship-producing activities. And so he's saying this is a good time to review the calendar or review some sort of similar log of activities and begin thinking about what can we do to make the church more disciple-focused or discipleship-focused. Something else he brings up is this idea of focusing particularly on those activities that require people to come to the church's facilities. And there's a reason he says that. He's and you're going to see that in the in the next two bullet points that he brings up. But he's saying look at not just every activity, but he's saying look in particular at the activities that you have going on that actually require people to show up in person. Because these are the things you're going to want to start really analyzing. Do they help people grow in their walk with Christ or are they just busy activities, the type of activities that just take up time, but aren't really producing the results that you would say would be the most beneficial. And the way he he encourages us to evaluate this is, is like this. He says, consider this question. He says, if your church expected your members to be at the church facilities four hours a week, what would you put in that four-hour slot? Now, people have limited time. 
you know, we, we all have a certain amount. We all have the same amount of time during the course of a week, but we all have a, a variety of responsibilities. And if you have children at home, you have some additional things on your plate as well. But he's saying if, if you're asking people, let's say you're, you're asking your congregation to commit to be in person at your church facilities for four hours a week. And with that as a metric, he's saying, what would you want to put in that four-hour slot? What belongs in that four-hour slot? And he's saying, consider that question, because it'll be a helpful tool or a helpful metric to use when you start thinking about what your church should be doing and maybe what your church shouldn't be doing. And then he says, just, just go from that, from those discussions, from that metric, and begin the process of elimination immediately. Now, obviously, if you're going to do something like this, make sure you have the support of the leadership structure in your church on board with it. But he's saying this is a moment of opportunity where if there are things that aren't really helping us fulfill the Great Commission, that this would probably be a good time to eliminate some of those things and maybe replace them with with better options that will actually help us uh, as we're trying to help people grow in their walk with Christ. So he's saying, begin the process of elimination immediately. And this is all part of uh, just a strategic approach to making the most of this unique opportunity. So that's something that's easier said than done, I recognized. I, I, you know, I know that there are some of us on the call here that are already thinking about some of the people that might show some resistance toward uh, certain activities being eliminated, but it's certainly a matter for prayer and certainly a matter for consideration. And there's definitely a unique opportunity given to us right now where so many things are paused. We can really give some critical thought to what do we unpause and what just kind of stays paused. Now, we talked a little bit about this next concept last week. We just introduced it, but it's worth bringing up again tonight. And Rainier brings it up uh, along with the opportunity section of some of the materials that he's been producing. And he talks again about this idea of church adoption and church fostering. And uh, I know some of you on the call here have the responsibility to oversee not just one local church, but uh, multiple congregations. So some of you have oversight roles that involve multiple churches, and and this might be something particularly helpful for those of you that are in that position. Um, I also know that there are some of you that are in a context where you're serving particularly strong churches that within close proximity to where you're serving, there are other churches that might be at a weaker spot, and this might be pretty helpful for you uh, to consider. And then there might be some of you here on the call or some of you that are listening to the recording of this who would say that you're serving in a context that feels like it has a lot of needs and might actually want to submit itself to one of these ideas. But, but Rainier brings up the two concepts of church adoption and church fostering. And again, we talked about this a tiny bit last week, but we'll bring it up again tonight here because there really is an opportunity for us to consider this in certain contexts. And he says the word fostering refers to a healthier church helping a less healthy church for a season. So maybe there's a church in your proximity that really has a valuable ministry in the community and really just needs a little help. You know, maybe your church is a little bit stronger right now. And, uh, and, and you can help, um, you can help another church kind of get back on their feet after a year of really dealing with 
interruptions and struggles. And, and maybe you would say, all right, for six months, we're going to foster you to help you get back off the ground. Or, or maybe for a year or two, we're going to foster you and just kind of come alongside of you and help you. But the goal is this not be a long-term arrangement. This is a short-term arrangement to help you get back on your feet and uh, really get things going. And I have to tell you, it's so helpful uh, when churches really commit to doing this. I remember in the early days of us replanting the church that we serve, and um, I remember at one point we were dealing with just a whole bunch of financial needs, and uh, there was a season where we had um, local, in, I think it was a, a local fire inspection and uh, they examined the alarm system we have in the church and told us we needed to make upgrades, and those upgrades were going to cost us $2,000. And for some churches, that wouldn't be a major hit to their budget. But I remember for us, it was hard to come up with $200, let alone $2,000. And so we were trying to figure out how we were going to do this. And a church that was at a stronger season came alongside of us during those early days and said, hey, we're going to help you pay for this. We know that you don't have a choice. You have to do this. They came alongside of us for a short season, helped us through that patch. It was very, very helpful. And then as our church developed and grew, we've had the opportunity to basically pay that forward and the idea of, of helping other churches that are at earlier seasons or weaker seasons because we remember exactly how it feels because it wasn't that long ago when we were in that exact spot. And maybe your church is in a spot to help, or maybe your church is in a spot where it could receive help. I think both require sacrifice and humility, whichever side of that equation you're on. But he talks about fostering being a pretty important thing. So keep keep that in the back of your mind. But then the other uh, issue that he brings up is the idea of adoption. And he says, in the case of adoption, the arrangement is permanent. The idea that that you would say, all right, we're going to take on your church or or um, your congregation, and we're going to say, all right, we're adopting you into our ministry permanently. Uh, I have a friend who serves at a church out in Michigan, and his church, uh, several years ago they did this, they adopted two other local churches. They adopted them into their full leadership structure and just their ministry connections or their ministry circle, however you want to say it. They just adopted them to be part of their church. It was very challenging. It was very difficult in some respects, but the end result was that everybody was helped. And so Rainier says there may be some opportunities here for, for some churches to just adopt another church or to foster another church. So with the Great Commission in mind, don't waste those opportunities if something like that is presented to you. Some other things he says about this is the fact that when a church is adopted or fostered, closure is prevented or, at the very least, less likely, because you have a, a, a church that's operating from a position of strength, helping, helping a church that may need that extra boost. He also says the pandemic has increased the need for church adoption and fostering. And I think many of us can see this. And again, those of you that have the responsibility to oversee multiple congregations can probably testify to this even more so than than I just testified to it. But the pandemic's definitely increased the need for church adoption and fostering. Rainier also says uh, the church uh, adoption and, and church fostering movements are reminders that churches should work together to reach a community. And I think that's a pretty helpful and and pretty gospel-centered 
reminder, because one of the things that, that I've noticed through the years of, of being a pastor is that sometimes, unfortunately, churches forget that we serve the same God. And we, sometimes we forget that we're on the same team. And at times I have seen local churches work against one another instead of working with one another as if they're trying to compete over the same people. And I think that, that's, that this is an opportunity right now for us to say we're not competing with each other. We're not trying to compete with one another. We're trying to bless one another uh, with the ultimate goal that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted up and the church would be built up and that we would kind of get over ourselves and just say, you know, it, if if need be, if the Lord gives me an opportunity to help and sacrifice for the benefit of another local congregation, that I'm willing to do so, and that I might encourage our local church to do that, to follow my leadership in doing that, because it's a kingdom-minded mindset. And I think that's what Rainier is trying to encourage us to adopt here. Something else he says here, and this is something that's, I think, edifying to think about. He says, churches that foster and or adopt actually get healthier themselves. And I, I, you know, when you think about that, there's probably a variety of reasons for that. One is it kind of helps us to get over ourselves. Another is that people learn to step up and they recognize there's a need and it gives people an opportunity to use the the gift set that the Lord has given them to serve others. And, um, and you know, Jesus himself made the comment that it's more blessed to give than receive. And I think when we develop a generous mindset, a giver's mindset, I think that tends to impact the culture of a local church. And so churches that foster and churches that adopt tend to get healthier themselves. And uh, another thing he stresses is, is the fact that these movements tend to be grassroots and local. So it's probably not going to be something that's mandated from you know, some sort of parent organization on a national scale. But locally speaking, you can look around you and see if there might be something in your vicinity or in your sphere of influence that you might be able to say, you know what, I think we can make some sacrifices for the benefit of this local group. And so it's something to think about, something to pray about. Who knows if the Lord might give you an opportunity like that. But if he does, don't immediately dismiss it, because there's a unique opportunity for the spread of the gospel through this and for the long-term health of local churches by making sure that other local congregations don't end up folding. We need to, we need more churches, not less churches. And so if we can adopt and foster churches to help get them over the hump, if another local congregation would benefit from our our assistance. Why not? You know, if they're preaching the gospel, if they're focused on on what it means to glorify Christ, let's help one another instead of working against one another. We're we're getting close to, to finishing up some of the things that I've prepared here. I have this slide, and I have one other slide that I want to share with us um, before we open up for discussion. But I want you to start considering some spiritual considerations that undergird all of these things that we're talking about, the things we spoke about tonight, the things that we spoke about last week as we gathered together. So some spiritual considerations to keep in mind. Rainier encourages us to to remember that you as a leader and your church must be increasingly dependent on prayer. So there's a lot of things that we listed and a lot of things that we said, all right, this might be helpful for me as a leader to focus on, or this might be helpful for our church to be focused on. But Rainier doesn't want to have our takeaway from this material that he and his team have, have produced. He doesn't want our takeaway to be, okay, I have to do all these things in my own wisdom and in my own strength. 
the idea is that we look for these opportunities that the Lord is bringing before us, but that we then rely on the Lord's power to accomplish the things that he's giving us the opportunity to do. So both you and your church must be increasingly dependent on prayer to to fuel this, to facilitate this, asking the Lord for his intervention, asking for him to show you favor as you seek to do the things that he's calling you to do, seeking his guidance, seeking his wisdom, asking him for the resources that it takes to be able to do the things that he's calling you to do. We need to depend on prayer as we bring these needs before the Lord, because ultimately it's his church, and it's not going to be built through our own human ideas, and it's not going to be built through our own human effort. We need our efforts to be blessed by him and empowered by him, and so we need to seek him in prayer for the for the energy, for the strength, and for the wisdom that we need to actually do these things. Something else that Rainier brings up is the fact that you and your church must be focused on the Great Commission to make disciples who obey Jesus. That's our our big focus. And I think sometimes it's it can become very easy for pastors and for local churches to become more focused on building some sort of a social organization than we are focused on the bigger picture that Christ is inviting us to participate in. We're not just trying to build local social organizations. We're trying to partner with what Christ is doing to facilitate the, the great commission that he's given us. He's encouraged us to go and to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything he has taught. So we want to make disciples who trust Jesus. We want to make disciples who obey Jesus, and they obey him as visible evidence of their genuine trust in him. So your church and you personally, the encouragement is that we would be focused on the Great Commission, so that we would understand why we're trying to do what we're trying to do. So, Two other pieces of encouragement that he gives us as far as spiritual considerations. He says, you and your church must be open to radical change that moves the church in a more biblical and evangelistic direction. And in some respects, it seems odd that we would have to encourage the local church to move, to move in a more biblical and evangelistic direction. But this has been a struggle for the church through all the centuries. In fact, when you look back in the in the book of Revelation, in the opening chapters, when you have the the uh, the church at Ephesus in, uh, in in particular, you know, being spoken of, it's being spoken of as having lost its first love. So it's possible for a church to keep going through the motions of what a church should look like, but kind of forget what it looks like to be a biblically-minded, evangelistic church that loves Jesus. We can get so used to the routine of doing church that we forget what it looks like to be the church, and sometimes it can be easy for us to lose our first love. That's not a spot we want to be in, and so we want to be open to, to using this season to kind of purge things that don't belong, and we want to look at this and say, all right, Lord, what kind of radical changes have you been telling us need to be made, just like you told the churches in the opening verses and the opening chapters of the book of Revelation that they needed to make some changes, they needed to make some updates, that they had some things going right and some things not going right at all. And um, and if that's the case in our context, we want to be sensitive to that. And uh, one other thing he brings up here as far as spiritual considerations is that you and your church must be willing to sacrifice it all. So what does that mean? What does it mean to sacrifice it all? Well, he's encouraging us to say, let, let's let this be a time when idols are torn down, 
when unhealthy things that over the course of time crept into the patterns and practices that we were adopting in our local churches, that we kind of re-examine that and say, all right, you know what, some of these things aren't really biblical at all. Some of these things are just preference issues and and maybe even some form of of uh, spiritual idolatry that we need to wrestle with. And so he's saying, you got to be willing to sacrifice it all. You got to be willing to step out on faith and tear down some of these idols and go for it, recognizing that that ultimately the church belongs to Jesus Christ, and we're trying to be good stewards of what he allows us to temporarily oversee and serve. A few additional thoughts before we open up for discussion. Um, And these are just a few words of encouragement that I want to personally share with those that are on the call here, based on some of the things that I feel like the Lord's been teaching me through this season. First of all, make the most of service opportunities and mercy ministries. Now, these aren't these aren't thoughts that are from Rainier's materials. These are some of my own thoughts based on what I've been seeing in our context as we're trying to do the right thing. And I know that it's a learning process along the way, but I have noticed that there are mercy-related opportunities and service-related opportunities that the Lord has made available to us during the course of this past year that we have been able to, to really lean into. And as a result, we've been able to connect with many more people, and it's been a wonderful thing to see. And so I would just encourage you from a personal standpoint to make the most of those service opportunities, make the most of of, of your opportunity to do some mercy-related ministries. I know that for a couple months, our church was the main source of groceries for many people in our community. And it was a wonderful thing to see, but it was it was a great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ in the midst of our context while people were struggling. Uh, something else that I'd, I'd throw out there is that we use this season to make new community connections. So I tend to sometimes feel a little rebellious, and this could probably be bad in some respects. And in other respects, I, I can see how the Lord can even use that for, for good um, in the sense that this was a year where I, I felt like many, many voices out there were encouraging me to make no connection with anyone, just avoid anyone and everything for as long as possible. And I got tired of hearing that message. And I thought, well, I don't feel particularly called as a local church pastor to avoid people. Because if I'm going to serve as a pastor, I need to be connecting with people. And so I thought, what what opportunities is the Lord bringing before me that will actually allow me to make new community connections, even in the midst of a season where so much is shut down? And so I looked for as many opportunities as I could, whether it be through uh, just community groups that were connecting online or other opportunities. And we use this season to make some new community connections, and it's really been edifying to see the result of that. Uh, I actually, a few, I guess it might have been a month or so ago, I asked the the people uh, that were part of our worship service that Sunday to raise their hand if I, if we had just met in the last six months or less than a year. And about 40% of the people that were sitting there raised their hands. And I, I thought to myself that some of that was the fruit of making some new community connections. And so I'd encourage you to, to do that maybe through Facebook groups or for other, through other things like that. Doing that enough, it starts to pay off because it becomes a very, very helpful evangelistic approach where you have the opportunity to connect people with the message of the gospel, pointing them to Jesus Christ through building those relationships. 
Another idea that I'd throw out there for you is this. Use your building to serve displaced programs and organizations. If you're able to do this in your context, it's, it's definitely worth doing. Uh, there are different organizations in our community that can't use building space that they once were able to use. And so we have been trying to think about times that we could accommodate them. And so there's, there's uh, families that do crafts like arts and crafts together that didn't have a place to meet anymore. And so now we're utilizing our building as a meeting place for them. And we have uh, other events and things like that that we've hosted because many places aren't open that other groups used to use. And so this is a great opportunity for local churches to step up and say, if you're able to in your context, why not come and, and do this here? And so we've been serving new groups through that. It's been a great way to connect with others. Something else I'd, I'd throw out there is this idea that we should begin treating streaming and social media like valuable forms of evangelism, not nuisance activities. I know for years when I would talk about some of these things with, with different church leaders that I'm familiar with, sometimes they treat these things like it was just a nuisance or just something for young people, but not really something that once you were past a certain age, you really should worry yourself with or concern yourself with. And it was hard to convince people of the value of some of these things. But now in this digital age that we live in, social media and live streaming platforms provide one of the most powerful opportunities for evangelism that we've ever, that we've ever been given. I've often wondered what the Apostle Paul would do uh, if he lived during our era how he would use the internet, how he would use live streaming or social media, or uh, just any way of communication that allows you to reach a large group of people all at once. And so I would just encourage us to start thinking of these as tools for evangelism, not nuisance activities that are just for young people. Something else that I think is worth thinking about is the fact that we can invest money, time, and energy in equipment and tools that will aid us in proclaiming the gospel. And I want to give you an example of this that we uh, recently spent some money on in our context. So again, many of us were live streaming, we're doing different things like that to reach people. And there was a, a family that we're familiar with that got they they came down with COVID, and uh, you know it hit one of them pretty hard. And they were home, and they were they were worshiping the Lord from home, and um, and they would access our live stream services. And um, and they sent us a message and said, you know, we really appreciate the worship services, but one thing that's a, a struggle for us is the fact that we'd love to be able to sing along during the singing portion of worship, but there's nothing on the screen that gives us the words. We can't see the words. We just hear you guys singing, but there's nothing that has the words. So I brought that to the tech team, and our tech team said the equipment we would need to be able to put the words on the screen the way that we really need to will cost us probably around 200 or $250. And I talked to the church treasurer, and I didn't think that that was an exorbitant amount. It's certainly not free, but it's, it's not some sort of crazy amount. And I brought it up to our treasurer, and I said, you know, our tech team says that they'd be able to pull this off if we're able to buy them equipment, and it's only going to cost 200 250 Are we okay spending that money? And um, our treasurer, our elders, we, we all thought, yeah, it seemed like a no-brainer to us. Of course, we're going to spend that money. It's not even that much money. Uh, you know, we're going to spend it, and we're going to do that and provide a better experience for those that are, are unable to meet with us in person. 
And it makes a difference. People have thanked us for us for it ever since we invested the money in doing that. And so I just throw it out there that we should invest money, time, and energy in equipment and tools that actually aid us in proclaiming the gospel. That was something that was aiding us in proclaiming the gospel, because we're also, as I'm speaking and preaching, we're, we're now using that same tool that we bought to put the scriptures up on the screen and, and put, you know, some of my main points from the message, not just the song lyrics, but also, you know, the scriptures and the, the bullet points from the sermons, and uh, people are giving us feedback that it actually helps them as we're walking through the scriptures and as we're working together to worship the Lord in those contexts. One other thought that I'll throw out there, and then we're going to open up for discussion, is this. Listen to feedback and use it to attempt new options that didn't strike you as necessary pre-COVID, because there are people that will give you good ideas during this time period. So be listening to feedback, and as people encourage you to try something new, be open to it. I know that um, when the weather was nice, there was a woman in our church who wasn't really comfortable meeting inside a building, uh, but she said, you know, Pastor, if you start hosting an outdoor Bible study, I I intend to come to something like that. I would feel comfortable gathering together outside if that's something that you would be open to doing. And I thought about that, and I put word out, and I said to people, hey, if we start offering this, would you come to it? And people said, yeah, we'll come to it. And so we started offering that. And uh, there's a lot of accommodations we've made this past year that have really just come out of suggestions that uh, were delivered to us from people in our church family or people in the community that said, if you offered something like this, we would use it. So we've been listening to feedback. We've been using it to try and attempt new options, things that really didn't seem necessary to us prior to this season. But now it seems like, you know, I, I listen to some of these things. I think, boy, what a great idea. I'm so glad somebody suggested that to us. And there are things that we're doing that are part of our weekly routine now that in the past we didn't even think were necessary, but they have been providing great opportunities for ministry. So that's something I just throw out there as a thought for you. In just a second, I'm going to stop the screen share here, and we're going to open up our mics for discussion. And I just encourage you that if uh, you have a, a comment or a thought or a question or a word of encouragement for us, when it's, when it's uh, your turn to do that, just unmute your mic and share that. And uh, if I notice someone raising their hand or something like that, I'll try and make a point to call on you as well. But we'll unmute our mics when we're talking, and then we'll mute them again when we're not talking. And I think that'll do a good job of, of helping us to uh, just kind of keep our discussion time orderly and helpful for everybody. But I'd be curious to hear some of the thoughts of those of you that are on the call here uh, to any of these concepts that Rainier brings up by way of opportunity. Who wants to get the ball rolling for us here? Who has a thought or a question or a comment? What do you think about Rainier's emphasis on this being a time of opportunity just in general? Do you agree with his assessment that we're given a new opportunity here? What do you think? Let me pick on Don Kaler first. Don, I need you to break the ice for us tonight. You know, I wanted to talk first, too. I was just trying to wait for somebody else. You're just trying to be <laughs> take that number one spot. Well, we, we needed you. Yeah. We needed an icebreaker. So that's you tonight, Don. <laughs> yeah, well, I was breaking ice this afternoon, so I'm, I'm already <laughs> acclimated to icebreakers. Nice. But uh, I was thinking about the fact that what a wonderful thing uh, that we have experience in here, the unity that we all have like a common thing going on with this COVID, you know, church leaders, people in the congregation, everybody on the planet knows about COVID-19, you know, coronavirus. And uh, 
that's a unifying thing. And sometimes that when you got a common enemy or a, or a common thing that you're up against together, it's just a great opportunity for fellowship and a, and a uniqueness and a, a, un, a unity and a oneness that uh, I don't know what better way for that to happen. If you've ever seen it when siblings, you know, they're fighting, but when somebody, when somebody comes in and it's a common threat, man, they you band together. So I was just thinking of that in our, in our worldwide community now is that there is a oneness that's happening because of the fact that everybody, you hear it on the news every day, everybody has somebody that has it. And, you know, so that's what I thought was a, is a great opportunity and maybe something that God was doing. I, I felt when this all happened, like God was a little bit mad at his children and he like grinded us. That's it. You're all staying home. Nobody's going out, you know, so <laughs> we're all in the same boat with the COVID. So that sparks unity. And I think that's a great opportunity. Yeah, it's kind of interesting Even when you look at uh, the group of us that are on the call here tonight. There's nine different states represented live here, and yet we're all dealing with the same exact thing, just in a different local context. But the same underlying struggle is uh, is very much an issue for all of us. And so, yeah, there does tend to be a unifying aspect to this. Yeah, some other thoughts. Yeah, Pastor Scott. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been struggling with lately is that um, as we start to go towards, and you, I think you mentioned it more last week, but it's something I've been preaching for a while for for our people, is that we really need to be looking at trying to go after uh, new converts, because so many of the churches, especially mega churches, and California loves their mega churches, which we are <laughs> not one of, but, uh, but uh, the uh, uh, they tend to gather, you know, it's, it's, it's just you know, people from other churches. And one of the things that's happened a lot during COVID is, is a lot of that has happened. People are like, their churches are like, Hey, we're open, even though they're not supposed to be or whatever, like that stuff. And, and so a lot of that switching has gone around and you hinted that there's going to be a lot of people. We have no idea if they're even still around in our fellowship. So one of the tricky parts will be trying to balance that. And that's one of the things we've got to figure out. We want to continue to try and go after people like that, but there almost needs to be a first step of regathering our own people mm-hmm. to figure out who's on, who's on the, the stage a little bit, so to speak. Uh, and I'm not saying it's even necessarily an unhealthy thing for people to go somewhere else uh, because if they're being fed there and so forth. Uh, but we need to figure out, I, I would, I've taken from tonight that the idea of that we really need to focus on regathering our people first and then gathering them with the idea of like, okay, now we need to go out and find new disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that, that's tricky because I think a lot of churches will rush right back in and grasp for whomever they can get because of what you said. So many churches are, are struggling to even stay, you know, above water. And I think they're going to grasp whichever way they can very quickly to try and get people in the seats. And that could be tough on a lot of other churches because I don't yep. think everybody's going to be unified. I think we're unified in concept, but I think a lot of people will do that in desperation. will reach out just like somebody who's, uh, who's uh, drowning will reach out and, and just do whatever they can. Um, Mm. But that's not necessarily what I think Christ wants us to do. Right. Yeah. He wants us to have a kingdom mindset in the midst of all of this, not, not a selfish or territorial mindset. And, and that's something, you know, I know uh, so many of us on the call tonight are involved in church leadership. I think it's going to require from us 
that we model what that looks like. We're going to have to model that. That's that's something that needs to be demonstrated by the most visible leaders in the local church, for sure. Yeah, some other thoughts. All right, so I'm, I'm looking in the comment section here. Uh, let's see. John in the comments says, my question is, I co-host a home fellowship. We stopped meeting in March, then started meeting again in June. Over the summer, pretty much everyone started coming again, but now the numbers have dwindled to almost no one coming. And I think a lot of it is fear of COVID. How do we get people to come back? Anyone have a suggestion for John? What would you recommend to him? Anyone in a similar context? I know one of my initial thoughts in relation to that is that sometimes it's not unhealthy to pause something to remind people that things can go away. You know, so it may be that, you know, there may be some benefit to, to pausing something like that. If you're, if you're hosting like a home Bible study, a home fellowship, and uh, sometimes people grow used to something being there, but I wonder, anyone else have a suggestion for John as he wrestles with, how to do how to do this you know how do they get people coming back yes bishop paul uh i just have a question uh because i, I understand the 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 uh home uh bible study uh, uh concept but have you have you tried doing outside of your normal context i mean we've had uh, we used to have bible study all the time and everybody would come, it would be held at the church, but then everybody got afraid because of COVID. You know, this has been one opportunity, like we're gathering on Zoom. Uh, I've learned uh, how to, uh, as uh, John does, you know, he, he projects his screen, puts stuff up. I do videos. I, I can do all sorts of stuff. And I can actually uh, engage. The only, thing, the only thing that's really missing in this, and maybe that's, you know, why so few are, uh, drawn towards this is because you don't have the face-to-face you don't have the the the, uh, the 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 contact that you that that the physical contact because christian worship is corporate worship it has to be corporate you know jesus may may have said that you know when you're praying go inside of a closet and pray and your father who sees you uh doing something you know uh will will sees it and will reward it but the church was never meant to worship in a closet uh, when you see the, everything from the Acts of the Apostles, you know that the church is corporate. So maybe it's a, maybe it can be a change of venue. Uh, if they're not gathering in the house, I don't know where you're located, but here you couldn't do it right now because we got three, we got a lot of snow out in, in New Hampshire. But if you're in California, certain parts, you know, uh, go outside. And if you can't go outside, then do something. Uh, Zoom or something like that, because uh, the the, the uh, idea of studying scripture uh, in a home situation is very is very valuable, but sometimes you can't do it at home. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that that some level of this routine needs to be changed. Something needs to be changed if if the the uh, you know the nature of of what's going on um, you know isn't isn't being utilized. And I see John's comment there and I don't think most of them are going to church anywhere anymore. So that's definitely a struggle. I think John's struggle is going to be a struggle that we're all becoming quite familiar with. Um, You know, some in the comments there, I also see are are recommending zoom and different zoom options too. And yeah, pastor Scott, go ahead. 
Uh, real quick, one thing that I think has been a real blessing for us, which is took me a little get to used to uh, get to use uh, getting used to uh, doing it was to just live streaming a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And you don't have a discussion. I mean, there's some people can ask questions in the comments, but you can live stream if you just have a little camera, like your, your Zoom camera, mm-hmm. and just do that. And you're like, is that optimum? No, but for some people, that is a real blessing. And the funny thing is somebody mentioned lately, they're like, well, how many people normally come to the Bible study? And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. We have about three times as many people tuning into the live stream of the Bible study. Yes. Because they got nothing else to do because they aren't going any, if there are people that won't come to the Bible study, mm-hmm. it's because they're not going to anything and uh, it's not optimum, but it's been almost the perfect thing for it to be the blessing during this time. So uh, it took some getting used to, to be able to talk to myself, <laughs> you know, essentially for an hour. I don't know, Pastor Scott. I talk to myself all the time. Are you sure you don't talk to yourself? Sometimes I feel like I'm my best friend. (laughs) So I I would just encourage you to do that because we've been surprised. I just wanted to put, we've been surprised about how many people that I would have never thought would have enjoyed that have been like, I didn't think I'd enjoy it, but hey, I'm liking this. Yeah. So might try something like that. Yeah. You seeing it as an opportunity and not seeing it so much as a burden. Yeah. What, 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 um, what, what do some of you think, uh, Fred, were, were you about to say something? I don't want to cut you off. It looked like you were raising your hand there. Sorry. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the uh, things that we started a few months ago and it's worked well for us, we're at about 50% attendance of what we normally would run. And so you figure those 50% are people who are not afraid mm-hmm. uh, to get together and meet and so uh, a few months ago, we started a monthly uh, gathering called The Gathering. Very and clever. Uh, we, oh, yeah, it's got a great name. And so we, uh, we eat, and then I give a, a short uh, message, and this happens, you know, once a month, and then we follow that with communion. And uh, uh, we were meeting inside uh, last month. We uh, decided to meet outside. Uh, but that had more to do with new carpeting than it had to do with anything (laughs) else. And so, uh, but anyway, I think we'll continue to meet outside, but it's been growing every month. It's been growing because there's more people that are, and, and what we're doing then is we're talking it up and everybody that attends is saying, Hey, what a great time we had and all of this. But, uh, the ones that are afraid that that that's going to be a, a tough thing. And the other thing I just read today, I thought this was just an interesting statement. And and this is what I'm seeing with some of our people. Uh, it said, uh, the more you miss church, the less you miss church. Mm-hmm. So there there's the problem you're up against with some people. Yeah. So that's thoughts. Yeah. Good point. The more you miss church, the less you miss church. That's a poignant statement. Yeah, Bishop Paul. Um, regarding another uh, uh, point that you made earlier uh, in, in the presentation, that is the idea of adopting churches or uh, fostering them. Uh, it's it's a very interesting concept. And uh, I again, it's, it's different. It, it can be different in ways because of a Catholic uh, tradition and so forth, but I have to tell you that in my diocese, there are we have opened up some of our parishes 
uh, to congregations that were just starting. And uh, uh, they were not, they're not Catholic. They're, they're Protestant congregations. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had facilities, facilities that also allowed the use of our uh, fellowship halls. And, uh, the, and, and uh, the relationship that developed between the, the parish that was hosting and the parish that was, uh, uh, you know, using the, uh, the facilities is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, again, it wasn't even, they, they would give a small contribution, but it wasn't for the money. You know, that would basically pay for electric and, and so sure. forth. Uh, one thing that we've also done, uh, we've done in our, and I don't know if that can be done uh, again, it's probably a denominational. Uh, it would have to be within a denominational structure. I don't know. Uh, but we've had situations where we've had a parish that was failing. It was, it, it, it was down to just a few people, but they had, a, they had, you know, resources, they had the church, they had the rectory, a parish cemetery, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, what we ended up doing and it really benefited is we merged that parish that was failing with, with the new parish sort of, uh, adopt, is that adopting? I'm trying to think. Could be. Yeah, yeah. It's a permanent scenario. It's a permanent. So what they did is they merged, they formed a new parish, uh, and, uh, each one had its own integrity. And in this one case that I'm thinking of, what was very interesting is that what the one parish, that the parish, uh, that it was, that they decided to use this one facility. That parish had a cornerstone. Uh, you know, very important for, for the folk because this is when we established it. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. took the cornerstone out of the church that was sold because they had, you know, they didn't need two places of worship. And they embedded that cornerstone next to the cornerstone. Uh, so, so one parish was in the parish that used to be in New Britain, Connecticut is now merged with the parish in Plantsville, Connecticut. And they both have the, the, their cornerstones are both part of that, that structure. And the parish that adopted these, the, the, this, uh, parish, if you will, we, you know, everybody has ways, whether it's uh, dues or whether it's a fair share or whatever, but that the parish that adopted, uh, waived, uh, said, we will pay for your, uh, for, for your, uh, um, uh, fees or dues that are required to the general church, uh, for a period of five years. So they just that, you know, they made it they made it so easy and the people and it's it's a beautiful blended parish now. And, you know, I don't know. They if made a they, sacrifice to do that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they did. But, it, but, but it's a beautiful blended parish. And actually, after everything was sold, all the other properties, the blended parish is more financially, uh, you know, settled than than either parishes separately were. And uh, so uh, it, it, it can, I mean, that's a possibility too, but we, sure. we don't call it an adoption. We merged two parishes. You merge them. Yeah. Same concept though. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Very good. Very good. I, I, I wonder too, um, let's see, did I miss a hand before I go to a, a different thing? Yeah. Rick. Uh, getting back to, uh, to John's original question. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, he mentions in his com in one of his comments there that uh, he was he's been pouring into these people for four to five years, and I'm thinking that you know when you're discipling people, and that's 
when you're having a Bible study, that's pretty much what you're doing. You're discipling somebody. After four and five years, they should you should have a friendship or uh, they should trust you enough and you should trust them to be able to go and, and just ask them the question. Why aren't you, you know, I, did I do something wrong? Or is there something that you'd like to see done differently? You know, why, why uh, aren't, you, aren't you coming around anymore? So uh, it may be time, as you suggested, John, to, uh, to, to let it go. You know, if, if, if it's really not working anymore, if there's a re- there might be an underlying reason why they're not coming back. So, you know, it's, it's worth the effort to just go and approach them and, and, and talk to them, you know, about definitely that they'd like to make. Yeah. And then, and, and just also to give some context, I, uh, John is somebody that I know John attends, uh, our, our church. So, um, I wasn't, um, uh, making kind of like blanket statements without knowing John or a little bit about his context there too. I probably should have given that context. Um, he's a, someone that knows the Lord and loves the Lord and has been, uh, just faithfully trying to pour into people. And, and I, sometimes I wonder, and maybe those of us that are on the call here too, who've been involved in church leadership for a while, we could testify. Sometimes it, it almost seems to help some people if we, um, if something they've taken for granted goes away and you're, you know, sometimes people stop taking advantage of something because it's always there and always available. And it's kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to take this away for a little bit. And uh, now it's not available. You know, like, what do we do with it that way? I don't know if that would be a catalyst in his context or not. It might be, uh, or maybe it wouldn't be, but we, you know, certainly need to pray that God gives him the wisdom as how he wants to that best facilitated. Um, Also. Yeah. Rick. One of the things that I really appreciate in the points that were brought up was that uh, it's a time to evaluate what is really achieving the Great Commission. You know, are we putting our time, our energy, our resources into the right things? And, you know, are we focusing on that evangelism and making disciples? And Mm -hmm. um, when you stop things or you pause things, it gives you an opportunity to reflect and see what is truly working and then set the path to to get to where you need to be. Um, You know, we can fill up our calendar, but if we're not leading people to a saving relationship with Christ, we're just busy. And, you know, we're, we're spending our time in the wrong places. So I really appreciated those points that were made. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we've been reflecting on and having um, very uh, good, healthy discussions about. And uh, we're using this time to, you know, make sure that when we come through uh, this, that we're headed in the right path and, you know, we're, we're reaching the lost, the unchurched, the unsaved, and uh, it gives us an opportunity to, to relaunch and reboot the system, so to speak, so that we can achieve that. So I, I really appreciated those points. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of the things that I was hoping we would spend some time discussing this evening. Uh, you know, those of you that have been serving in a, in a context um, you know, for a while. Do you think that 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 that's? Do you perceive that as an opportunity to to make some healthy changes as things kind of uh, to use Rick Rick's word there reboot? You know, as things reboot now, um, do you do you see that as an opportunity to make some healthy changes or or um, how, how do you think this will play out in your context? This would be under that context, by the way, where Rainier referred to it as um, minimal church, 
And it wasn't saying, you know, have the least amount of church possible. That wasn't what he was saying. But he was saying be focused, focused on actually doing things that produce disciples. So I'd just be curious to hear some thoughts related to that. One of the things that we've been discussing uh, is with the time that we have and the the resources that we have, um, looking at church, you know, it's not only Sunday morning, but it's uh, Tuesday afternoon, small group studies. Uh, you know, we're talking about doing a table, kind of like what Fred was talking about, a gathering, mm-hmm. uh, putting our resources into that. We have... Uh, community service, what I, what I would deem community service, with goodwill towards the community uh, opportunities here, but it's not producing uh, discipleship. It's not, you know, growing Christ's church and, you know, it, it's goodwill towards the community, but we're looking at how do we turn things into more of a teaching, preaching, growing people's relationship, discipling, and, uh we're thinking outside of the box. It's not just Sunday morning anymore. It is your live stream. It is your Facebook. It is your social media presence. It is your, um, you know, time that you're able to spend with people. And we're trying to really invest in all those areas to build disciples. And, you know, it's the, the time out was to say, okay, we have to rethink and re, re, uh, just do this in a way that is relevant to today and reaches people today. And, uh, I'm very grateful for that. And if you guys know something that works really well for you, just email me and we'll try it. <laughs> you know, we're not afraid, but you're, you're open to ideas and suggestions. <laughs> yes. And, uh, uh, it, it's it's good to have different perspective, and it's good to continue to uh, address that. Are we reaching that goal? Are we making disciples? Are we leading people to Christ? I could lead them to a free meal. I could lead them to a picnic. I could lead them to some mute, you know, an event. But am I leading them to Christ? And that's really you know the focus going forward. Uh, in uh, you know that that that's our we're moving all in on that direction. And yeah, I'm very excited about that. And I like the idea of minimal church, the the concept of that. I'll, I'll try I'll Amazon, get on Amazon and buy the book when we're done here. Yeah. The, yeah. The book's called simple church and uh, it's by uh, Eric Geiger and Tom Rainier. And it's a, I think it's a great book. I recommend it to pastors all the time. And uh, I can't believe it's been out for 15 years already. I feel like I just read it, but that, that was a quick stretch, quick 15. Um, in, in our final moments here, I, I wonder, does anyone see um, some opportunities that you just uh, kind of want to mention out loud? Are, do you see some opportunities in your context that uh, are kind of worth noting or acknowledging? Uh, John, I think that uh, when I talk about having that gathering, yeah. the reason we began having it is because we felt there was some people that wanted to get back to doing something normal in their life. And, uh, you know, there's one woman who, uh, attending and her husband, uh, is not a believer, doesn't attend, but she got him to come to that. And, uh, the first one he came to, I happened to be on the griddle. And so he stood and talked to me the whole time I was cooking and, and, uh, doing all that and just got to know him. Well, 
Uh, now, uh, a few weeks later, he shows up in the services. And uh, I just heard Brian on Sunday invite him to a, a golf tournament that one of the uh, uh, organizations here to recovery ministry puts on every year. And so he's going to get more exposure there to a lot of uh, uh, believers and everything. So, you know, those things all work together. And, and obviously the goal of it all is to, you know, bring people to Christ and disciple them in following him, no matter what we're, we're trying to do, whatever. And I just want to also make this note because you guys made fun of me <laughs> last Tuesday. Uh, we had our uh, annual chili cook-off on Sunday and many of the people would not stay because it was too cold outside. <laughs> How cold was it? That it begs the question. How cold was it? Well, I think probably 65. I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure. 65. Yeah. And you're saying that to people that have temperatures that are barely above zero. <laughs> oh, nice. A- any other final uh, notes of opportunity you see in your context here as we finish up? Yeah, just a, um, maybe a final thought because uh, this this period that we had also is a period of rest and a period of preparation. Uh, you know, lest we forget uh, the Apostle Paul uh, after his conversion, he waited ten years. He 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 was out there uh, preaching like a like a, a tornado, uh, uh, but uh, Damascus. But then after that, he went back. Uh, I think it was to Ephesus. I'm I'm not the great, you know. I always tell my I say my wife is is the is the local Baptist. She can get everything. <laughs> but but he went to study for ten years, and then he went out on his ministry. And he needed that not only to learn but also to prepare himself for the time. And Jesus, how many times did he say okay to his apostles? Okay, we got to we got to stop now. Let's go to the desert. You know, we've got we got to rest here. We got to meditate a while. We've got to regather our thoughts because you need that too. And I think God has provided us with a time uh, where we can uh, we can reconstitute our own faith lives, if you will. And I'm uh, my final thought is I'm thinking of uh, 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 the prophet uh, Elisha. Uh, you know, he. Uh, he was, um, it hadn't rained, or it was Elijah, one of the two. It hadn't rained for three, four years, right? Uh, nothing nothing seemed to be happening. Nothing was going well. Uh, but he went to that, uh, he went to that widow's house and he said, you know, make me a, make me a loaf of bread. And uh, she prepared it and it was the last of the oil. But the oil just kept replenishing and replenishing and replenishing. And I think that's God, that's what God is giving us. He's giving this also as a time to replenish our our our, uh, our souls, our our faith, uh, to to meet the challenge when it comes up once all of this COVID stuff goes away. Uh, and uh, so, this is a marvelous time for us to study, uh, to pray, uh, to to do the things we tell our faithful to do, because you know uh, sometimes uh, the preachers are the best are the best or the worst examples of what we're trying to get our people to do. So I think this is a, an opportunity for us. It, yeah, it certainly can be, and we, and we want to make the best use of it. 
And uh, thank you guys for being part of the study tonight, for the good word that you had to share, for the uh, um, just for the ways in which you guys are leading in your local church context. I know that that uh, local church leadership has has been key to helping believers through this season. And so thank you guys for doing that. And uh, I wonder, uh, Pastor Don Kidd, would you be so kind as to end us in prayer this evening? Lord, we thank you for considering us faithful and calling us into your service. Thank you for the great privilege we have to shepherd, to teach, uh, to be called into this. We all have different abilities We all are in different settings and uh, different groups of people inhabiting our our churches. But uh, at the end of the day, you're the same Lord, and uh, we have the same gospel and the same goals of uh, drawing people to you and then making disciples out of them. Lord, in these different days, as we've talked over these two sessions, I pray that uh, uh, you'll open each of our eyes to see what you have for us in our in our vineyards and uh, how to go about reaching um, first the people in our own church and getting them back if they if they've been staying away, uh, getting them uh, getting our community kind of readjusted to each other again. And then also reach out to our neighbors and uh, share uh, not uh, not just the words of good news, but the life of good news as well. And uh, may our churches be places where the living water uh, can be tasted by those who are thirsty. Thank you for these uh, these couple of sessions, things we've heard, we've been encouraged, we've been challenged. And uh, I pray a blessing. Uh, on all of my brothers, that uh, that our lives might be lived faithfully uh, for you and before you and before our people as well. Pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for being part of this. I see some of the comments here from Rick and from Chris. Thank you guys for being part of this as well. And uh, just appreciate each of you guys and the work that you're doing in your local churches. Thank you so much for, for being faithful to that. I hope everybody has a wonderful evening and a wonderful week. Maybe we'll get together and do something like this again soon. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great evening, everybody. You too. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.